Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number nine of the Elevate podcast. The podcast is out to document and elevate the human experience through conscious conversation. I'm your host, Hayden Humphrey, and I'm incredibly excited to be sharing with you my conversation with Chris Peterson. Chris is a serial entrepreneur whose first startup was acquired in early 2018 after nearly a decade of operations. Prior to that, he'd spent five years in brand marketing at Procter & Gamble, and had also served as an officer in the U.S. Army. After the company acquisition, Chris saw a problem in the tech industry with how jobs were found, and so he decided to co-found Future Execs Career Accelerators, where he currently leads the firm's strategy and marketing efforts. When he's not teaching entrepreneurship at the University of Cincinnati, mentoring up-and-coming startups, or building his new venture, he typically lives a suburban dad life of chauffeuring kids around and buying guitars that he commits to playing, but rarely does. In this episode, Chris and I talk about his experience of selling a company and then starting again with his new company, Future Execs, the emotional up and downs of entrepreneurship, and his affinity for collecting weird instruments. As always, thanks so much for being here. It means a lot that you've decided to spend your time with us, and I am incredibly excited to share this episode with you. Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Hayden. I'm, I'm really glad that we got a chance to connect, and I'm, I'm happy to be a guest. Yeah, super happy to have you. Uh, I gave folks a little bit of insight as to who you are and what you're up to, but I would love to hear directly from you. What are you up to? So I, I guess at this point, I, the, the easiest way to describe me is a seri- kind of an accidental serial entrepreneur. And uh, my latest venture is something that is called the Future Execs Career Accelerators, which are kind of explicitly designed for that mid-career professional. And we basically are created a program where we're going to help really targeted groups of business leaders and kind of people who aspire to get to the C-suite and have fulfilling careers regardless of what direction they take in. And and we're running a series of these kind of formal programs that are a blend of just education through the sharing of inspirational stories and career journeys of kind of different executives across industries and then really heavy one-on-one networking that's that's not about just collecting contacts for LinkedIn and is really just about building relationships with kind of influential people within your industry. Yeah, that's really awesome. You and I had connected previously about that. And I think the thing that I really love about that is how different the approach is to networking, finding different careers, like not having it be like the headhunter-esque, job board-esque, you know, type of way to go about finding careers for people, but actually making it more about like the networking and the getting connected and those those pieces, which, um, which is awesome. And definitely want to chat more about that. Sure. Um, and the other thing that came up for me too, was like, I'd also love to hear more about like, what are you up to in your personal life? Like outside of, uh, just the work. Oh my gosh. Personal life. So, uh, I think I told you, you know, I'm, I'm living the classic suburban dad life. Uh, so, you know, I'm in my, in my early forties. So I've got some, uh, I've got a couple of young boys. So, you know, uh, every, every suburban dad's life, that is exactly what my life is outside of, uh, 
outside of what I normally do. But, you know, I, I try to keep it balanced where I don't just, you know, I'm not just one of these guys who's a, who's a workaholic and, and just like as a family guy, I mean, I've, I try to, you know, have my own identity a little bit too. So, you know, I've got all sorts of different, uh, crazy hobbies where, you know, like for one of them, for example, uh, you know, I, I collect all these guitars and all these instruments. So I can tell you all about that. I'm like a late, uh, instrument player. My wife, is a classically trained violinist. And when we were in our twenties, I, I awesome. wanted to learn how to play. Yeah. I wanted to learn how to play an instrument and she kind of got me started there. And then now I have all this collection of weirdo instruments that I definitely look at a lot more than I play uh, and dream about playing than I actually do play. But um, I do that. I've got, you know, I mean, like I, I was telling you, I mean, I, I do all sorts of things. I actually, uh, you know, one of the things that happened in the last couple of years, particularly after I sold my first, company was I decided that I really wanted to do more in terms of giving back to the community. Mm. Um, you know, my, my wife does a good job of that. It, you know, she's a, uh, she's a geriatric nurse practitioner and mm. you know, she's pretty involved with some of the stuff at like through her church and everything. And I'm like, you know what, I really felt like that was a pretty good role model and, and I wanted to get back more. And, uh, what I've been able to do is kind of, uh, I started volunteering with the university of Cincinnati uh, they have a center for entrepreneurship where I was mentoring, Nice. students through a course. And then uh, now I actually got involved with, with kind of more progressively mentoring startups in the, in the Cincinnati area. That's awesome. The mentoring piece, I can imagine that's super fulfilling and rewarding, like being able to share with people, like what you've learned in the course of your career and selling that business and with the business that you're building now. Um, <laughs> the question that I had was, what's the weirdest instrument that you own? Oh my gosh. I just offloaded. A, I just sold a bunch of them on uh, eBay and reverb. Um, I'd say at this point, the strangest one that I have is a four string guitar. It is an, a four string electric guitar. It's called the Fender Tenor Telecaster and they Fender is this you know big guitar brand and they released 500 of these. I think globally mm -hmm. last year is like a weirdo just strange, bizarre instrument project that when you read the you know music forums, everyone's like, why on earth did they do this? Like, there's no demand for a four string guitar. I so you had to have it. I had to have it. I had to have it. I needed it. So um, I bought one. And uh, that's that's the strangest thing that I have. Like, my buddies come over and they're like, what, 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 what is this? But I love it. I love it. So anyway, I'm one of the 500 owners globally of this instrument, and I will never be able to sell it because no one wants it. I love that. Well, it's cool. I mean, it's cool that, um, you know, you're super clear on the hobbies and the stuff that you, you know, love doing and are interested in outside of work. Um, and I, you know, I'd be really curious with, you know, obviously you said you had two young kids, correct? Yes. Yep. So I'd be curious, like what that experience has been like being a dad and almost like learning how to be a dad while also running and selling businesses and being an entrepreneur. Well, I mean, I think it's like anything else in life, you know, you, you, no one teaches you how to be a parent. Uh, it's just kind of like trial by fire. I mean, at the best, we get examples from our own childhoods, right? And that's kind of, you try to figure out mm -hmm. maybe what worked with you as a kid, maybe what mm -hmm. didn't work. And then you're kind of adapting that and you're just doing it through this, you know, drinking from the fire hose. I, I think in my case, what was really interesting is when I, I, when I first started my company, I, I, three things happened at the same time. This was back in 2010. In, within three months, I moved from Chicago to Cincinnati and took a job at, at Procter & Gamble, a full-time corporate job. I, my 
my first company was really a side hustle that also took off pretty quickly. So I had this demanding day job. I had this side hustle that I work on on nights and weekends, and I had my first kid. So like three months, I don't recommend that to anybody. Don't ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) if you want to lose your mind, please, please, I invite you to do those three ridiculous things at once. Uh, So I think that, you know, shy of me getting divorced and retiring, I don't think there was a major life stressor in 2010 that I didn't hit. Um, So my early days as a parent, um, you know, I look back, not, you know, I mean, I was trying to be as involved as I, as I could. And I, you know, thankfully, in the early years of having a baby, I mean, the mom does the heavy lifting. I mean, I would be giving her breaks and hanging out with my son and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I definitely didn't have as much time uh, in retrospect as I did. However, that did change uh, two years later in 2012, when I had my second kid, I just made the conscious decision at that point, that I had to be a really involved and actively involved parent to both my mm-hmm. kids. And I really mm-hmm. needed to do more heavy lifting. And mm-hmm. I basically made a decision that, you know, I wasn't going to let my, my work to, you know, take over my life, particularly yeah. my, my day job at PNG. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, on the one hand, it's the conscious awareness of, Hey, you know, here's how my childhood was and here are the things that I either did or didn't get from my parents. And here's how I wanted to go differently. And then like the actual intentionality of like putting it into practice, <laughs> like not just realizing it, but being like, Hey, here are the things that I need to take on. Here's how I need to get supported so that, you know, I can show up and be a part of my family and be involved in, you know, the way that I want to be, um, which I don't think necessarily is, it's, it, it's not something that I think everybody realizes. So that awareness is, that's really cool. Yeah. And as time has evolved, I mean, particularly as I le- you know began to do my own business full time, I mean, my ability to be a much better and involved parent increased dramatically. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's pros and cons of entrepreneurship. One of them is the time that you do get to have. And so Mm -hmm. I I feel like I've sort of reached the apex of success in terms of parent involvement involvement when very recently my younger son, I was picking him up from school and he just got in the car and looked at me and was like, you're always here. You're always here. Why do you always pick us up? And I'm like, yeah, man, that's exactly what I want you to say. I never saw my dad that much because he's traveling all the time. So I'm like, yes, that yeah. I'm overdoing it. That's yeah. exactly, I've, I've won. I've won. So that was kind of my, uh, that was definitely my, you know, crowning achievement. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Well, that um, it's like the piece to you around, you know, and I found the same thing to be true in starting a business is you know, there's obvious risks involved and a different experience of life, uh, you know, at times as you're getting the business off the ground. But, you know, ultimately, the nice part about it is it's so flexible that you just get to say, hey, what's the experience of life that I want to have? And how do I build my business in a way that allows me to do those things and spend the time with my family that I want to spend and have the hobbies that I you know, want to have and collect, you know, these weird instruments and um, just creating something that's totally of your own design. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, everyone works for someone. I mean, if you've got a startup, the weight of the world is on your shoulders in a way that it isn't when you have a kind of a a normal job, but you Mm -hmm. are able to make more conscious decisions where you don't have to answer to anyone specifically. So if you want to do something, you can do it and you don't have to worry about, you know, any negative repercussions from anyone else, you know, but the idea is you have to make conscious choices to um, Mm -hmm. prioritize these things in your life. 
Mm, mm -hmm. Do you think for you that that was something that was more innate? Like it was something that you just sort of went into, you know, starting a business with, or do you think it's been something that has kind of come to you or become more clear over time? Well, I, I don't think so. I mean, first of all, I would consider myself to be sort of an accidental entrepreneur. So I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly, you know, I don't know if it was something that sort of consciously came to me. I, I actually think it's learned, right? Some of it is, you know, I think that the older you get, you get a little bit more introspective. And in my case, you know, when I was in my 30s, in particular, you know, my early 30s, I was really, really career focused. So the most important to me thing to me at that time was really like, building my career and establishing myself at the company. And then as I shifted more into the entrepreneurial world, those things became less important. And, um, and I think that also as an entrepreneur, it's actually because of, you can get really enveloped in it and it can be an all encompassing thing. Like, you know, you can't just turn it off necessarily when you get home at the end of the day, because in many mm -hmm. cases you've been working at your home all day. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I just think that it was sort of a learned behavior. It was just kind of a, yeah, like I said earlier, it's like a conscious decision to kind of make these choices and, and build a life that I want, but you have to take proactive steps to do it. And I, and I okay. found that that was something that I had to learn over time. It certainly wasn't innate. The uh, piece around creating that separation with the, like when you're at home versus when you're working when whatever it is, like I, uh, it's just been interesting in the, in the last couple of weeks. Cause that's come up for me a lot recently. And I actually posted on Facebook, uh, it was probably like two weeks ago. <laughs> I was, I posted something along the lines of, um, you know, how do you all, what, what's tips or strategies do you have to actually relax? Because I feel like with, mm -hmm. with how it's gone <laughs> historically, like when I'm not working, I'm, you know, I'm not really resting. It's, it's almost like I'm just waiting to work again like yes. you know like the weekend's yep. great but the whole time i'm like oh i got to do this next week and that next week and this yes. next week and it's like creating that more conscious barrier between like hey here's when i'm working and here's when my brain's on and here's when i'm not and here's when i'm rejuvenating or resting or being with family or whatever it is yeah honestly the thing that i think works is when you just kind of hide your phone i mean for me at least and i by the way i'm not awesome at doing this. Hmm. But I think that that's part of it. I mean, I just kind of remember back to like, you know, I mean, I just feel like in order for me to be present, particularly with the people in my lives and all those things, you know, they have to, you know, I have to give my full attention to them. And the easiest way to do that is to kind of stay away from the distraction of technology. I mean, I can't turn my brain off uh, when it comes to you know, kind of thinking about the business or thinking about what's going on and all those, those pressures. But at the very least, I can make a choice not to be so tied to my phone and just kind of be present with those people. And mm -hmm. I think that that's actually very hard to do, but mm -hmm. it is something that we all could probably try to do a better job of. Yeah. Agreed. It's, I turned all of the notifications off from my phone and actually mm -hmm. keep it on do not disturb most of the time, which has been incredible. Yep. And it's been so interesting. I've been practicing being a lot more present recently. And one of the things that I notice is when I catch myself going to go for my phone to look at my phone and I stop myself, it's almost uncomfortable. Like I'm uncomfortable just being present and being there and not having something to distract me. So it's a really, it's a hard habit to break. It is. And what will break your heart is if you have a kid and they're like, you're always on your phone. And you're like, and that, you know, oh, I mean, when man. they say that, I mean, it just hits you in the gut and you, but it does jolt you back to like, absolutely. You're right. You know, that's yeah. how I treat it. And I'm like, all right. You know, so that's, I'm here. I'm here, that, I'm here. Yeah. That's the thing. And I think it's a challenge just, just society in society yeah. today. 
Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the business that you ended up selling. Um, I recently finished Built to Sell. Um, oh, yeah. Love that yeah, book. John Rillo. Yeah. Awesome book. Uh, super impactful. And so it's so interesting because I've been thinking about, you know, my own business and, you know, how would I create it in a way that if I eventually wanted to, I could end up selling it. Was selling it something that you had in mind intentionally when you first started? Or was it something that you eventually got to the point of saying, hey, I actually want to step away from this and have somebody else handle it? No, you know what? I never... The strangest thing for me was up until 2016, which was, you know, seven or eight years after we started it, I didn't even realize that I had a business that someone would ever want to buy. Mm. Uh, So for me... It was, you know, it wasn't, it was never a conscious decision. I mean, I started it when I was, I was in graduate school doing an MBA down at University of Illinois. And I was there from 2007 to 2009 when the recession was at its absolute worst. And (laughs) there were zero jobs for anybody coming out of business school. And I realized that if I wanted to have a career, particularly at the time I was a career changer, and no one was gambling on, no one was hiring anyone, let alone a career changer. I had to do something to get myself in front of companies. And I had to leverage something in my background to do that. And so we kind of looked around and said, well, how are, what other organizations are companies actually taking a look at? And they were going to all of these sort of diversity hiring conferences around the United States. This is sort of despite the recession. So we decided to create one for military veterans. And uh, really just strictly as an opportunity for us to get connected to companies and maybe get a job. And I never really intended to take it further than that first one, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it eventually evolved into a much bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so then, sorry, just to clarify. So then you ended up selling the networking piece with veterans? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was I, so I used that and I ended up doing some, we did business with Procter & Gamble as part of that. And I had wanted to work in brand marketing coming out of business school. And again, there were no jobs, but what happened was, I mean, there's wild stories here, but what sort of happened was in the fall of 2000 or late, or excuse me, early 2010, I had moved to, I graduated from school. Well, actually, let me back up a second. This is basically what happened. I didn't even think I was going to start it as a company, but in the spring of 2009, I ended up getting an award from this global consortium of graduate schools for sort of the leadership aspect of creating this military hiring conference. Cool. And uh, found myself a, couple, a week later in Taipei, Taiwan, getting this award on like the the National Museum from the CEO of Acer Computer. And I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. And well, when that when that happened in, in that spring, I was a you know basically a bunch of companies reached out to me and said, Hey, we heard about this veterans conference. I know, how do we get involved next year? And then I started getting contacted by all these guys at business schools around the United States saying, Oh, help us set one up in Los Angeles or help us set one up in Boston. And I kind of realized that maybe there was a market opportunity for mm-hmm. a program like this. And mm-hmm. since I had gotten a, a job, you know, kind of a job offer out of it, I felt like I could pay it forward. And so we decided to turn it into a viable business and uh, I actually ended up, like I said, I through that we did business with PNG, and I ended up taking a full time job there. But I wanted to keep doing it, so I ran it. You know, it was kind of a cyclical business. We started with mm-hmm. one conference in the fall. We did that for about five years, and then, yeah, I mean, basically, what happened was in 
the summer of 2015, I've been doing it for a while and I could not do both anymore. I could not have a day mm -hmm. job and do this. And um, we kind of took it to a point where we left our jobs, we grew the company. And then it got to a point where either we had to hire a bunch of people and we had a, we had like one uh, contract employee or contractor. And we were like, we either need to hire a bunch of people to manage a growth, or we could look for a partner that would actually be able to absorb us. And it was sort of that inflection point where like, what are we going to do? You know, and it was a path, mm -hmm. it was a, it was a choice of two paths to take. And we just felt like, you know what, it might actually strangely be easier to put the company up for sale and see if there's a market here for this than it would be to actually you know, build out a bigger team. And that was really the decision that that's what led us to that decision. Mm -hmm. What was, um, what was the most surprising thing about deciding to sell a business and going through the process of selling that business? Well, the surprising thing, I, I don't know if there was anything really surprising. I, I, well, to me, the most surprising thing that it was actually a business that was, that was attractive, you know, that there was a market. So it was kind of, it was an events. We ran these kind of hiring conferences and we also had developed some of our own software. And we didn't know, you know, really, like I mentioned earlier, really late, like, would anyone, does anyone buy an events company? You know, mm -hmm. does anyone, is there even a market for this? Mm -hmm. And the thing that happened was when you go to sell a company, you need to be represent. In most cases, you would want to be represented. There's like these sort of real estate agents for small business that, that called business brokers, which I'm sure you read about in John Warlow's stuff. Mm -hmm. And my thing was, I could not find a business broker in the United States who, you know, actually represented business owners who were in this events industry. And I ended up, uh, and it took about six months, I was searching everywhere, trying to find someone. And I ended up finding some brokers in London. And I reached out to them and said, Hey, I don't know if you work with any US businesses, but I noticed that you, you kind of have done a bunch of deals globally. And I'm wondering if you'd be interested in talking to me. And of course, they were like, yeah, absolutely. We'll talk to you. And it, through them, you know, we ended up getting on a phone call with them. I think it was in the spring of 2016. And they absolutely enlightened us. And they shared mm. that, you know what, you guys have a great business. And there are these big multinational corporations, many of whom are publicly traded, uh, that just wheel and deal and the they run hundreds of events globally in the you know around the world and you know your business is something that would theoretically be attractive to some of them and so the fact that i think that to me was the most surprising validation like, oh my gosh it was like oh my there's this whole world that we had been i've been live, working in the industry for mm -hmm. a bunch of years and then to just you know like we were like are we ever going to sell what do we do are we going to fold this thing you know and then to discover that there was this whole world uh was the best feeling in the world. It's like, all right, mm. great. You know, there's a, there's a path forward. And I think that to me was the most surprising part of the whole process. Mm. Realizing like there is an opportunity. <laughs> there's yeah, an exploding mean, opportunity. You know, you don't, I, a lot of people, you know, I, I think you kind of, you go into a business to solve a problem. Oftentimes businesses are solving a problem of the entrepreneur. They identified something mm -hmm. and that was kind of what we had started. And, and, and I think we just enjoyed creating, you know, we connected thousands and thousands of veterans like us with all these different great, you know, amazing companies, you know, I mean, name a blue chip company, we we worked with them. And it was really rewarding to get their feedback and help them as they kind of transition their careers. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it was just kind of th those things were good. It, it, you, know, you don't actually envision selling it. But, you know, a, a, after a while, 
whether you outgrow your company or you kind of get burned out a little bit or you just want to move on to a different challenge, you know, uh, doing an M&A deal is always a, an option if you're, if you're sizable enough. Mm-hmm. Getting out. The, um, the veteran piece was because you are a veteran, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I spent, uh, I spent four years on active duty as an army officer. And then I actually spent two years in the reserves too. Yeah. I got it. I, um, yeah, it's interesting. I have a lot of members of my family who have also been in the military and are still involved in the military. Um, I'd be curious if you're open to talking about it, like what, like prompted that decision and also just like what your experience was like. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty simple decision. I, uh, so I grew up out in the Western suburbs of Chicago and I mean the suburbs of the suburbs, right? You would look West from my neighborhood and you'd see Iowa would be like the next <laughs> thing you would see. Right. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like I was living in Naperville or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when I was in high school, I went to a, I went to a, a, a actually went to military high school. It was an all boys Catholic military high school out in Aurora, Mm. Uh, which at the time it was called Marmion Military Academy. Now it's just called Marmion Academy. And, uh, you know, I had gone to this very rural school and had done well, public school my whole life. And when I was in going to high school, I kind of thought maybe I needed a change and there would be an opportunity to kind of better myself. And there weren't many private schools out in the area. So I ended up uh, taking the admissions test there and going there. And now, mind you, I, I actually am not Catholic and I am not uh you know, I had no background in the military and, uh, I had no interest in going to an all boys school, but I, you know, I just felt like it might be better for my future. So I ended up doing that and working in the summer as a caddy, uh, to pay my tuition, which was kind of a, you know, a rarity, I think among most of my classmates out there. Um, and what the reason I ended up going to, you know, joining in the military was my, you know, my family could not afford to send me to college. My parents had not saved literally $1 for me to go to school. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to my senior year and I knew that I wanted to go to college, I needed to find a way to do that. Uh, And I couldn't get the loans, I don't think. And I wanted to go to the best school that I could possibly get into. So, you know, because I was at this military school, they kind of gave me exposure to Army ROTC scholarships Mm -hmm. and some of the service academies like West Point and the Naval Academy. And I ended up applying to the ROTC scholarships, you know, strictly at that time as a way to pay for my college. And I ended up getting a four-year Army ROTC scholarship to go to Boston College. Mm. And um, so my impetus for it was really about, you know, hey, I, I, I want to go to the best school and I want to find a way to pay for it. And that was that was the path that led me there. Yeah, got it. I've got a... Uh... I've got a ton of cousins who have done ROTC, so super familiar with that program, and that totally makes sense. Um, I, you know, I'd be curious now, like having gone through those four years and then you know the two years in the reserves, like what role, if any, does you know you as a, a member of the military play in your identity and your life and the stuff that you're up to? Yeah, I mean, at this point in my life, it, it, you know, let, much less dramatically so. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of pride for the fact that I served, and I do think public service is a really important thing that everyone should do, whatever way that is. It doesn't have to be in the in the military. It's really not part of my identity anymore. I mean, it's always fun to meet other veterans and kind of talk to them. And I think there's sort of a perception about your character and things like that if you've actually served. And um, and you know, and I, so for me. Um, it's just, it's kind of like, it's, it's part of my path. It's something part of my past. It's something that I'm, I'm proud of, but it doesn't really, you know, define my identity in, mm. in a, in a significant way anymore. Yeah, totally get that. Um, and then I'd be curious too now, like, what would you say are the largest parts of how you identify or how you currently identify yourself? 
You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I would say at this point, you know, I'm probably much more, I identify more just simply as, you know, from a professional perspective, as just an entrepreneur and a business person and someone who's a creative thinker mm. and principled. And, and, you know, I'm an educator too, right? I'm an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship. I enjoy teaching and kind of paying forward some of the support and everything that I got over the years. So I, I really think my identity is linked much more closely to that now than it, than it certainly was to my, my time in public service. Totally. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting too. just, I'm even taking a look at like how my relationship to my identity has changed over time. And, um, the thing that I find to be true is every time that there's some sort of significant shift, it's also reflected in the people that I spend time with, like the people that are in my social circle, the people that are in my professional networks. Like, you know, when I, when I worked in corporate, when I worked at a full-time job, the majority of people around me were all basically doing the same thing. And then it was a really almost like uncomfortable transition between leaving my full-time job to, you know, starting and, and building this uh, business. Um, Cause it felt like the handholds of my identity were kind of shifting or gone yes. <laughs> or just different. And so it was this, it was almost like this feeling of falling, like what, what is there to grab onto? Like where, you know, how do I hold myself up? Where do I actually stand? You know, until, <clears throat> you know, now I feel like I have a much stronger grasp on it. Like, Oh, this is who I am. This is the work that I do. You know, these people that I surround myself with, but like that actually, that transition was super uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. I can relate very well to that. Mm. Uh, when I, you know, particularly where I live in Cincinnati, Procter and Gamble is kind of a revered company and for good reason. I mean, it's an amazing place to work. And I actually really did enjoy working there and I love the people and I did some interesting things. Um, and it became a big part of my identity. Just, you know, oh, I, you know, people ask me, you know, oh, I work at PG and I'm a marketing guy <laughs> yeah. there. Uh, and then I, you know, and I've got this great colleagues and all this other stuff and, you know, traveling these cool places and making TV commercials with Shakira. And I'm, you know, I'm doing all this really interesting stuff. And then next thing I know, I'm in lonely little sad office in my house, you know, trying to get this new business what up happened? and around all, alone. And, you know, I've got a business partner, but he lives, you know, 90, you know, 90 miles away and we see each other like once a week and, mm. oh my gosh, yes, I totally get that, you know, and then you're, it's strange, you know, before people be like, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm a brand manager at P&G and they're like, got that. And then they're like, what do you do now? And you're like, yeah, I own my own, like, you know, recruiting events company. And it just felt strange to say that. <laughs> uh, and it felt really awkward. Uh, and it took me a good six months to kind of just get used to that new normal for sure. Totally. Yeah, that's so funny. It's like there's it's interesting too, because it's like there's something that's um uh you know really cool and uh almost like makes you proud to say, hey, you know, this is the company that I work at, you know, this is the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it becomes this, it's like a very humbling experience to then be like, oh, that you know, that's no longer how I want to identify myself, or you know, that's no longer the thing that I'm going to derive my sense of self-worth from or like my sense of value from. And it becomes this question of like, okay, cool. Like then who am I? Like, what, what do I actually care about? What, you know, where am I going to derive um, my sense of fulfillment, fulfillment and my sense of like who I actually am as a person from? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think that, it, you know, just, it, it is really challenging. Yeah. Because so much of our identities is wrapped up in where we work. In fact, what's funny is I don't, I don't know if you get this, but, when I tell people, I, I kind of even hesitate to tell people I'm an entrepreneur, even at this mm-hmm. point, because they sort of, because the way that the 
media, I think, has sort of made it seem like, you know, entrepreneurs, we treat them as sort of celebrities now. Everyone sort of assumes that when you say that, you're some <laughs> crazy tech entrepreneur living like the life. And then you kind of tell them the truth about what you're doing. And it's some like normal, you know, kind of boring little business. And they're like, totally oh. deflated. Oh. <laughs> and, like, you know, and so I get, I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, uh, yeah, man, I'm not Zuck. I'm not mm-hmm. Zuck. But you know what? I'm, I'm still, you know, Hopefully, doing things that create value for the world. You're on your way. <laughs> yeah, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Yeah, there you go. It's it's funny too. I found the same exact thing with with podcasting. Like reaching out to people and being like, "Hey, you know, I've got this podcast. We'd like to be on the podcast." People are like, "Oh my gosh, yes!" You know, that would be amazing. Because um, I think part of it is you're. I think we're doing something that that a lot of people want to do, and a, and a very small percentage of people will do and like will ultimately succeed in doing. And so I do think that there's like a sort there's like a sort of, I don't know if mythos is the right word, but there's sort of like a mythology around, you know, being an entrepreneur, starting a business, owning your own company that I think people are like really attracted to. Well, they are, they are. I mean, and I see this in my, in the class that I teach. I mean, you ask them all, you know, Hey, do you want to be entrepreneurs? And, you know, you know, three quarters of them think that they're going to do that. And I just tell them that there's a big difference between having an idea for a business and thinking about it and then actually doing it and taking that leap. Like that is, there's a huge chasm. That's like jumping across the Grand Canyon or something to actually do it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have so many people that come up to me and they're like, oh man, I've got this idea for this thing. And I'm like, sweet, why don't you go try it? You know, and then they never do. And then I'm like, well, at least I tried. You might think that I'm lame, but at least I tried. <laughs> I'm doing it. Yeah. 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 Um, the, you know, the other thing too, I think with, especially with, with taking that leap, it's also understanding the, like what you're signing up for on the other side, mm-hmm. like, Hey, you know, you, yes, you can have your own schedule. Yes. There's freedom and flexibility and, um, you know, there's no ceiling, so to speak. And right. at the same time in the beginning, you're probably going to be like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> How does this work? How am I going to, you know, pay for this and that next month? Um, so there's like a certain, uh, like up and down to it. Um, and so I'd be curious for you, like what has that experience been like for you? Like the emotional roller coaster aspect of it? And like, how have you um, like dealt or hand handled that? It is an emotional roller coaster. And what's crazy is that you sort of think, well, I've had a business before one that I sold, I had an exit. Mm-hmm. which is a huge deal, right? It's, I mean, probably 99.9% of any business people will never go through an M&A deal. And it's sort of like, so you'd, you'd think that, you know, at this point, I'm kind of a veteran of it and I understand, you know, and I can kind of contend with got it. it. Well, figured out. yeah, I got it all figured out, except here's the craziest part. So I go off and I'm launching this new company in the emotions, in the, the way that I feel is identical to how I felt before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the difference this time is just that I sort of have the perspective of experience so I know that yeah. if I'm in a down period, that as long as I stay true to the vision yes. and I can just grit my way through that rough patch and pivot around whatever the struggle is, that yeah. as long as I keep one foot in front of the other, eventually it will pass. Mm-hmm. And then, and that to me is the journey of entrepreneurship. It's like, you just kind <laughs> of go to the... You can fall in a hole and then you climb up and then you get the, you know, and then you fall in another hole and then you keep going like that. And then, you know, eventually it gets better. But, you know, the beginning stages is certainly terrible. I mean, I won't lie. I mean, every single day, every day I wake up often in the middle of the night and I'm saying, mm-hmm. what am I doing? You know, and I'm terrified, but you know, eventually morning comes around and 
turn on the computer. I call my business partner and you know, we keep grinding forward. So yeah. <laughs> it's totally all you can do. It's, um, it's so funny. It's like, um, I was joking with another friend of mine who also runs his own business. And the piece that we were saying was, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no formula for starting a business, but if there was a formula, it would just be, how long are you willing to hang on? Yes. <laughs> like that's like- uh, absolutely. And you just don't know. I mean, you have ideas. And the one thing I always think now is that it always takes at least 50% longer to achieve whatever your next mm-hmm. goal is than you sort of plan, like are planning on, you know, I like and- that a lot. It's true though. I mean, I don't know anyone who's like, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, we're launching this new thing. And you know, we're in six months and then it's 10 months later, it actually happens. I mean, you know, this has happened a million times to us. So to me, it's like, you just kind of have to, it's like slow and steady wins the race. I feel like that's Mm -hmm. how it is in entrepreneurship because it never hits your expectations. You have to be able to deal with that fact that your expectations are never going to be met. Yeah. Well, it's like the, just being with whatever happens, being okay with it. And I think one of the biggest things that I've had to overcome is this expectation or this idea that it's going to go this exact way or right. it's going to, you know, cause then, cause then what you end up doing is you end up sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself about how it's gone or, you know, beating yourself up or, you know, thinking that you shouldn't be doing this or whatever the story is instead of like, Hey, why not use that energy and actually put it into figuring out how to make it work from here? <laughs> like, that's really the only thing that matters is like, okay, you know, what are you going to do moving forward from here? Absolutely. I mean, the one difference I, I have, maybe is that I do have a business partner. So mm-hmm. what I, you know, sometimes people having a business partner gets a bad rap. And if you listen to enough of John Warlow's podcasts, you, you'll, you'll hear horror stories. But in my case, you know, I actually, it's helpful for me to have a, a business partner because on the days I'm down, he can lift me up. You know, mm-hmm. on the days he's down, I can lift him up. Nice. And that actually helps. That actually really helps, I think, going forward too. That's awesome. It's almost like a, uh, like a buoy. Yes. Like, so it's like you're both in a pool and you're like when one person starts to drown, it's like, hey, nope, we're good. Yeah, man. <laughs> Here's a life raft, buddy. Do you think I'll throw it over to you? Yeah, it's yeah. exactly like that. The um the piece that I was gonna say too is like with the you know what you were sharing earlier about staying true to the vision, like it's this it's uh, it's like this two, this one, two process of having the vision and being really aligned with, Hey, here's what I want to create. And here's what I'm committed to creating. And then it's also making that conscious choice and that conscious effort every day to wake up and decide to continue moving forward. Um, and, you know, on the trust in the vision piece, like I I've seen, you know, even in, in my own life, I've had, I've been really lucky to have experiences where I've said, Hey, here's this thing that I want to go do. And then I go do it and I make it happen. And every time that happens, like my ability to trust myself and trust the process just gets stronger and stronger so that when I'm looking forward and I'm saying here, are these other things that I want to create, like it's just so much easier now in some ways to take that jump towards those things because I've seen it play out, you know, time and time again. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that, you know, and the, you know, it just, everyone needs little wins every now and again, and a little win is enough to kind of give you the, the gum, you know, the, the, the intestinal fortitude is like an army term to kind of keep going and going on and on. Mm-hmm. The, um, the piece that was coming up for me was, you know, I, I have been really lucky to work with uh, a number of really incredible coaches over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be curious for you, like, how do you, as an entrepreneur and as a leader in a lot of ways, get 
the support that you need around, you know, coaching, well-being, business strategy, like what does your support team actually look like? So I think it's, it's a blend of a bunch of different things. So first would be, I have a couple of people, I guess, that I would consider as mentors who are completely outside of kind of my industry that I've that I will, you know, periodically I check in with and mm. kind of bounce ideas off and I get sort of unvarnished advice mm-hmm. uh, and they want to help me see. So one of them is a guy who's actually one of the, uh, he's a Dean at, down at, at the university of Illinois. And for, you know, from the first business through this one, I mean, he's been helpful. I just talked to him a couple weeks ago. So I guess, you know, that's good. Having kind of a network of a couple of people that you can kind of rely on Two, definitely having a business partner for me, like, you know, he and I have been working together for since 2000 and, you know, for almost 12 years now. Mm-hmm. So we know each other really well. And it's kind of like, you know, so I think that, you know, he and I going back and forth and by the way, he, he and I are yin and yang. So like we have, mm-hmm. there's not, we don't have a lot in common. We're not like two guys who are the same cut from the same cloth. I mean, he's an engineer and very much an engineer and analytically minded mm. and I'm much more the creative and salesy guy. So, right. you know, we compliment each other. Um, and then the rest of it, I mean, I got a couple of, you know, like I said, I got a couple of people that I bounce stuff off of. And then, you know, honestly, I listen to a lot of like, not a lot, but I, there's a couple podcasts and stuff that I listen to mm. that also I use as inspiration and support to kind of keep me going for sure. Yeah. The, um, the, you know, with the piece with support too, and, and, you know, more specifically well-being, at least what I've found in, you know, the, the last two and a half, three years is like, I had a certain approach to creating results before I started my business. And the approach, (laughs) the approach was basically, I'm going to wrestle these results into existence, Mm -hmm. like just through sheer force of will, (laughs) like they will just come into existence. And what I'm realizing now is like, oh, you know, how do I create those same things, but not have the experience of being overwhelmed and stressed out and, you know, super anxious and tired all the time. So it's almost like there's been a certain piece that I've had to learn around well-being, like how to take better care of myself and get the sleep that I need and like have the diet that I need to have and get, you know, getting my emotional and social needs met, like all of those well-being pieces that have actually led me to being, you know, that much more productive and effective. And um, I'm curious if you've, if you have seen something similar for yourself. Yes, uh, very much. I mean, I think, as an entrepreneur, it's really easy to just kind of lose your lose your way in terms of kind of your overall well-being because your brain never stops. You know, it's easy to move forward on something with your business and neglect mm. your diet, neglect your exercise, neglect the relationships that you have in your life, you know, sort of isolate yourself in the business. And those are things that, you know, to me are sick. They end up being cyclical. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there'll be a period where I'm really deliberate in terms of, you know, my diet and exercise and all these things. And then it wanes off and something happens and I kind of go back and forth to it. But right. I mean, just like you experience, I mean, for me, it's the same thing. And I, but I think part of it is having, you know, it's, it's building plans and committing to something. So something small for me is like I do, um, I'll, I'll run half marathons and I just nice. follow like a really simple training program that's like easy to do. It fits into my life. It doesn't require a lot of time and mm-hmm. it's like prescriptive for me. Mm-hmm. So I find, I tend to find that like having structure when it comes to well-being, and by the way, I'm not like a process person at all, but in that regards for that part of my life, it's what helps me. 
I love that. I, uh, it's so funny. I was like, I did the exact same thing. I don't do it anymore so much, but when I lived in California, it was the same exact idea. I was like, I need to exercise. So <laughs> I'm going to sign up for this three half marathon series so that I have to continue to run yeah, <laughs> you know, throughout right. the whole year and <laughs> stay in shape. So <laughs> yeah, totally get that. Um, <clears throat> with, uh, with you and entrepreneurship, I'm curious, like, where did that start for you? Like, was that something that you like noticed happening when you were way younger? Was it something that, um, you know, just happened when you started that side business? Like, are there pieces of like who you are when you were a kid that led you to thinking, Hey, you know, I could probably do this at some point. You know, I don't think I I ever consciously thought about being an entrepreneur, but I can sort of looking you know, retrospectively, I kind of look back at, at some of the things that happened when I in my, in my childhood, and I would say that, you know, there were some signs that that it would be something that I might be okay at. So, for example, you know, I have a I have an identical twin brother, mm. and uh, when he and I were kids, we were the ones who uh, we were always you know hustling for extra money. So he and I set up, you know, uh, uh, we cut lawns. You know, we would in in the summers, and we had kind of a rotation of lawns we'd cut. We would do the same thing in the winter time. You know, with with you know shoveling people's driveways, we kind of make money that way. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, when I was in high school, I started to you know I, I began to I had to pay my tuition to high school. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I started working as a caddy. That was my first experience as an independent contractor. And when I was working as a caddy, that was my first exposure to kind of a different sort of socioeconomic group than I had grown up with. You know, I got to see these people oh, yeah. who were, you know, they were working, they were kind of the pillars of our of our local town and they were a lot of entrepreneurs and I started to kind of see their lives and their lifestyles and I began to realize that, you know, maybe the level of success that they have is something that I could actually achieve yeah. myself someday. And so, you know, there were those things. And then it was even kind of, you know, how I came into college. I mean, I went, you know, I, I suppose that I could have gone to, uh, you know, University of Illinois or something straight out of my high school, but I really wanted to go to the best place. I wanted to go to, you know, mm-hmm. Boston College. Mm-hmm. And I kept hustling my way into finding new opportunities. So, I mean, I, you know, found a way to pay for school that wasn't going to put me in debt, right? I took that ROTC scholarship. You know, when later on, a couple of years later, when I left the military, I was looking to go to graduate school. I actually ended up getting a one-year fully funded scholarship from the Rotary Organization to move to New Zealand, where I moved for a year. And I, uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. It's about like the best year, right? Like, like you know, I moved to Wellington, New Zealand when I was 26, and I spent a year doing a one-year Master's of International Relations, fully funded. And then, kind of, you know, when I worked my way back to the U.S., try to figure out what I was going to do next. I ended up going to Illinois because you know, I found an opportunity to go do an MBA down there for free. So for me, I think that there were always ways, you know, sort of like there were these different inflection points where, you know, the thought of me trying to, you know, scheme or hustle my way into into building a business were probably set from somewhat of a young age. Yeah, I think that's so important too, that piece around being with people who had, you know, achieved those kinds of things and actually supporting you and realizing like, Hey, I actually like, this is something I could do. <laughs> like yeah. this is a lifestyle I could have. These are opportunities that I could, you know, take advantage of. Whereas before, you know, if it doesn't occur to you, there's no way you can actually go out and create it. Well, I remember the the one moment was this, I, I was, there was a, I was caddying one day and there was a rainstorm. 
So when you're out caddying, I mean, I still remember this. And we were kind of walking along the course. And along the course, there were homes. And one of the guys in our group had said, hey, listen, why don't we ride this rainstorm out and in my house? And so we took the four of us caddies and the three other guys that he was that were in the group. And we went into his house. And it was this mansion. I had never been in a home like this. I mean, the, he had like cars and he had all this stuff in his basement. And I just remember looking around and realizing that there were people who lived, you know, seven or eight miles from my house who lived yeah. like this. Yeah. And I thought to myself, and that was kind of it. It was like, oh, oh, you know, like I've seen this on, you know, maybe at that point, you know, I was like, the night, you know, I've seen this on TV, I guess, but like people actually live this way and they're not too far removed from me. And it, mm-hmm. you know, and anyway, that, that kind of opened my eyes a little bit about to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe where I could, I, I could find similar levels of success. And I'm not suggesting that financial success is the end all be all, but it just kind of helped me to see, you know, a, just a different way. Yeah, totally. Um, this might, this might be a different kind of question, but, um, I'm curious if there is anything that you've been really excited about recently, but haven't had the opportunity to talk about, or like, what's something that you wish people would ask you more about? Well, I mean, I, I think it's just for me, I don't know if there's anything like specifically that I wish people would kind of ask me more about. I, I think that where, you know, I, I think one of the things I can do is I, again, I, I feel like I, because I've kind of lived the full cycle of, you know, being an entrepreneur, I mean, I, I feel like I could tell people sort of like the pragmatic aspects of it. I mean, I can't tell you, I get contacted every week by people I used to work with and stuff. We're mm-hmm. all just like, oh man, you did it. You lived the American dream, man. You like <laughs> built this business and then you sold it. Now you're doing another you one and I'm so great. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, for me, it would be, it would be kind of to, to teach them that absolutely that's possible and you can, you can do it. But to, to explain that it's not as, it's not as easy. I'd love to just show people that, mm. you know what, it's amazing. It's rewarding, but it's not all, you know, it's not everything that you imagine it to be. Mm, right. And you have to yeah. kind of temper that. Yeah. It's not just the highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, it's all no, the, it's not. yeah. All the pieces of it. <clears throat> oh, no, and I like think about all these entrepreneurs. I, I listen to the, how I built this podcast a lot. Yeah, nice. And um, I always think about them and I'm like, Oh man, like I, I feel for them, you know, like it's, 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 you know, it's, it's amazing what they've achieved and stuff, but you mm-hmm. know, it's not all, it's not all, you know, roses and uh, butterflies. Yeah. I will say the nice part about uh, that as as a fellow entrepreneur is being able to talk with people who have also gone through more difficult periods and it kind of normalizes it. You're like, okay, because you can't have those conversations with everybody. Like I, I'm really lucky now. I live with a, a, a friend who also runs his own business. And so it's really nice because we both work from home. So anytime that I get like a weird, something weird happens or something weird happens to him, we can just share. And it's like, oh yeah, totally. Like I totally get it. Whereas with you know, with folks who are just in more regular jobs or who haven't started a business before, like they just, it's just a different, different context, different type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Um, the other question that I was curious about too was, uh, do you have any, do you have any like secret dreams? Like not the, you know, building another business or, yeah. you know, building future execs, but do you have any like wanting to become like a world class weird instrument player like stuff that you that uh, oh my gosh yes, yeah of course of course of course i have dreams yes, hit me. That, that, that don't involve this <laughs> um okay so someone asked me recently like if you could do anything in the world what would it be 
Okay, so this is another weird hobby that I don't get to do anymore, but but I loved. So I like I'm a huge surfer, right? I love surfing. I have oh, cool. four surfboards sitting in my uh, they're sitting in my garage collecting dust now. But I used to surf on on Lake Michigan when I lived up in Chicago mm-hmm. all the time. And uh, so my dream would be there's a Kelly Sw- Slater is probably the world's most prominent you know surfer, and he has this company called the Kelly Slater Wave Company, which is making all of these amazing wave pools and surf parks and stuff around the world. And so for me, I would, I would kill. If he called me tomorrow, I was like, Chris, I want you to be the CEO of the Slater Wave Company. I'd probably just throw the, I'd throw the towel in what I'm doing. I'd be like, absolutely, man. Can I start tonight? You know, so like that would be, that would be just like a huge dream of mine. Um, you know, and I would just love to surf all these major surfing breaks. I mean, I've surfed a lot of places, but I would love to get back into that. I mean, that's a dream of mine. Another dream of mine, and I, I swear I will do this, is uh, when I was growing up, uh, I studied Spanish and I lived in Argentina for a while. And I, you know, you lose it a little bit as you get older and don't use it frequently. Mm-hmm. But I, I was speaking very, very, very well. And my, my dream would be to, you know, take my two kids and we would spend, you know, a summer in Costa Rica surfing in the morning and going to Spanish language school in the afternoon and just kind of like repicking that up for three or four months. Like that kind of thing to me, that, that, these are the dreams that, that I have, you know, that's awesome. What is it? I'm curious, like, what is it about surfing that you love so much? Uh, because it makes me feel like a kid. So one of, you know, I can't, I, it's indescribable, the feeling uh, of it, but yeah, I mean, I'd say it is, you know, that when you were young mm-hmm. and you were out playing with whoever, like your kids in your neighborhood or at school or whatever. And there was just kind of like, you didn't have a care in the world yep. and you could just play. And it was just like this unadulterated, just like joy of, of just play. Mm. I feel like as an adult, you don't get that experience anymore. You get it a little bit when you're playing with your kids and you're kind of experiencing through their own eyes, but that pure joy of that childhood, like play, like I feel that every time I'm out surfing Mm -hmm. and you're disconnected from the world, you're in nature, you know, there's a rhythmic aspect to it because you're on the waves uh, and I could go on and on for days, but anyway, um, yeah, that to me, it's like the ultimate Zen moments are, are when I'm on the water like that. I totally get that. I uh, do a lot of improv here in Chicago and that has been the thing that I've realized recently is like play is such an important part of who I am as a person and also the lifestyle that I want to create. And there is such a shortage and it's kind of a tragedy that more people don't give themselves the opportunities to play because it just (laughs) like there's just I'm like, that's the whole reason we're here, really. Or <laughs> like, that's the whole reason I'm here is to just like have as much fun as humanly possible, you know, in the in the shortest period of time. And like being able to take that out and give that to other people too. Like I include a lot of work, uh, improv and workshops that I do and like being able to create that experience for others and supporting them and realizing that is just hugely, hugely gratifying. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, I just, I mean, that to me, these are the things, you know, I I would, if I could do them every day, I would, I mean, it's to me the biggest lament about living in the, you know, I like living in Cincinnati and it's great and all that kind of stuff, but I really miss being near the water. So, I mean, if I can, if I could ever find my way back to a coast or even the lake again, I would do it. Yeah. I have no doubt that'll happen. (laughs) I hope so. Cool. Well, Chris, well, thank you so much for being on. Uh, Where can folks find you? So the easiest way, I guess you can, they can all hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, Chris, I think it's Christopher D. Peterson, S-E-N. You can hit me up there. You can email me, chris at futureexecs.com, or you can visit our website, 
future execs. It's one word, F-U-T-U-R-E-X-E-C-S.com. And you can fill out a contact form and uh, we're pretty good about getting back to people quickly. Okay. And you also had mentioned that you had something coming up in August for that. Yeah. Yeah. So our first Future Execs Accelerator, uh, we are hosting it at the Mid-America Club in Chicago on Saturday, August 15th. It, this one is specifically designed for for marketing professionals. If you've got some, you know, a couple of years of uh, marketing experience and you want to learn about, you know, you want to learn from startup founders who are who worked in marketing and are now launching their their businesses, or you want to learn about how to go from a big company to private equity, or we even got like the the the, C, the former CEO of Clorox company, Don Naus. He's actually going to come in and talk and kind of share some of his career journey. So it's just one day. It'll inspire you. It will um, help you just build real relationships for a change with a bunch of amazing people. And um, hopefully, you know, it'll, it, you know, for people that are interested, we'd just love to have you check it out and uh, join us. Awesome. And what is a uh, piece of wisdom that you've got for the people listening to elevate themselves, their communities and the world? You know, I, I just think it's, you've got to give, you've got to give, uh, you know, part of it is just giving back to others. Like, I, I mean, sometimes it's easy, whether we're working really hard and whatever our profession is. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I personally, like I said, a couple of years ago, I started to, to do more kind of volunteerism and kind of giving back of myself to other people. And, uh, it's, it's made me a better person. It's made me a better business leader. So I think any, anytime you can give some of yourself to, to others, like it's the best thing you can do. Yeah, totally agreed. Cool. Well, the way that I love to close out this show is with acknowledgements. So Chris, are you open to me acknowledging you? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, Chris. Hmm. Yeah, Chris, the, well, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to acknowledge you for, but I think the first is your commitment and your courage. Like, it's just so funny listening to the way in which you talk about the things that you've been up to and the companies that you've started. Because um, the the thing that I'm super present to is you waking up every single day and consciously choosing to do the scary thing and like choosing to do the thing that's in line with the vision that you have for your life and for your family and the type of stuff that you want to create. Um, so just thanks for continuing to choose to do the scary thing on a regular basis. Um, and I think part of that too is like just the humility that you have man is really really cool um and really inspiring and i i think makes it feel like oh i could totally do those things too um because <laughs> like i i totally hear that it's been difficult at times and that there's been a lot but the way that you talk about it makes it um seem super approachable and accessible so like thanks for just being an example of um what it means to be a you know a servant leader and somebody who's incredibly humble um thanks for being a teacher and being of service to other people like i get that too that a priority for you is giving back to other people and supporting them and creating the same type of success um which is i think incredibly important i think the world needs more of that um thanks for being a dad and thanks for being an entrepreneur at the same time and being so conscious of the, you know, the man and the father that you want to be for your kids. Um, they're really lucky kids. And um, just thanks for your whiz your whimsy and your joy. Like, it's just like, it's a total pleasure to get to connect with you. And um, I'm just like looking forward to continuing to connect past this. Absolutely. Hayden, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I, you know, if, if there's any, I can help you or any of your listeners, uh, please like, let me know, just, just awesome. say the word and, and I'll do whatever I can. 
Yeah. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thank you so much. Ready. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show and want to stay up to date on new episodes or other special offers, I'd invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if there's ever anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. See you next time.